Welcome to the Product Boss Podcast, where we help product-based businesses grow their sales and improve their strategies. Hey, everyone. I want to introduce you to my co-host and biz bestie, Mina Kunlositap, an Amazon guru that has built a multi-six-figure product-based business. In introducing the other half of the product boss, Jacqueline Snyder, she has helped launch and grow over 500 fashion apparel and accessory brands, even one of her own. And together, we share our inventory of secret weapons that will help you dig deep and do the work it takes. Are you ready? Let's build together. Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Product Boss Podcast. I'm your host, Jacqueline, and I'm here with my co-host, the lovely, beautiful, and talented Mina. Hey, Mina. Hey, Jacqueline. Um, So today, we are going to talk about the five stages of your business life cycle. We want you to understand where you are and how to grow from there. But we have some excited news that we want to share. Drum roll. (laughs) We are so excited. We can't even contain ourselves. You ready, Mina? Should we share? Yes. Okay. We are actually, we're partnering with Create Joy to bring our listeners a special spinoff podcast all about creating and building a subscription box business. Yeah, it's so, so, so exciting. So they are graciously partnering with us on this endeavor of a new series. And this is my dream, literally my dream partner. I am so obsessed with subscription boxes. And I know it's in my destiny to own a subscription box and have that as part of my business. So I could not be more excited. But wait, you all might be thinking, I don't want another business or this might not be for you. But I bet you want another stream of revenue, right? How awesome would it be to have $10,000 a month streaming in via subscription revenue? Yeah. Don't mind if I do. (laughs) Interested now, huh? So starting April 27th, 2018, we will be dropping two new episodes and we'll be releasing episodes, new episodes every Friday to kick off season one of the subscription boss brought to you by Create Joy. Yeah, so exciting. So every Friday, the subscription boss will be a special episode coming at you about how to basically add this revenue stream to your business. And you know what? Even if it's something you think might not be right for you right now, we want you to listen because in our masterminds and in Multistream Machine, which is our mastermind, we talk about all the different platforms to build your business into. So you have multiple streams of income. And this is... This is on our list. This is actually something that we talk about all the time and adding to our businesses or to our clients' businesses. So make sure to subscribe to The Product Boss. Just look at your phone, look at it right now, and hit subscribe to make sure you get this awesome new series. It'll come with a subscription to The Product Boss. So don't worry, you will see it. And you guys get two episodes a week right now from us. And with that, you'll get this awesome new series, incredible content that we have created for you. So we're so excited and we hope that you listen and tune in. Yeah, we are super, super, super excited. Create Joy has been amazing so far. They've been so supportive of all of our ideas um, because we're just pumped. We're pumped about this revenue stream and sharing it with all of you guys. The only problem that I have is that every time we talk about Create Joy, <laughs> we come up with 100 million ideas 
a subscription box businesses that we should start. And so, <laughs> so by the end of this partnership, we will have built out maybe 10 subscription boxes ourselves and hopefully helped thousands of you guys, our product business to build out your own as well. And we'll all be making gazillions of dollars every month is what I'm guessing. Yeah. And then we'll all meet in like Turks and Caicos together. <laughs> oh my gosh, amazing. <laughs> right? That's that's the hashtag goals once we start getting this like revenue streaming in. Um, so we're right there with you. We are so excited about it. And we are working, I mean, we're partnering with them. So we have like the inside scoop on this and we have been given permission to share that with our listeners. So just make sure that you tune in. So again, it's every Friday starting April 27th and we are dropping two episodes to you initially so that you could sort of binge listen about subscription boxes. And then on from there, it will be every Friday through the month of May. So we are going to kick off our current podcast episode and get back into talking about the five stages of your business life cycle. Ready, Mina? Yeah, ready. Um, Should we list them off and then kind of dig deeper like how we like to do? Yep. Front load this one. So let's talk about it. So stage one is seed, seed stage or development stage. Uh, stage two is startup, lots of people in startup. Stage three is growth, or some people call it the established stage. Uh, stage four is expansion. And stage five is maturity or exit stage. So Jacqueline, are you ready to dig a little bit deeper on each one of those? Yeah. So let's start with that first stage of seed and development. Yeah. So seed and development is really when you are doing your soul searching. You're getting that initial idea and you are hopefully validating it. And this is just when, you know, you're just really full of those bright ideas. Um, Lots of people stay here, (laughs) right? And um, so this is where you're just initially coming up with ideas and letting them brew and simmer. But you really want to get out of this stage with a minimum viable product. Yeah. So if you're an idea person like us, hence all the subscription boxes that we want to plan and start, what you want to do is you want to look at that and you want to do a bit of research, right? So you've got the idea and I'd like to say a lot of us are probably idea people. And then it's thinking about who your customer is, um, that customer avatar idea again, or not idea, but going back to that and seeing who's there. Then I want you to do research. I can't tell you how many clients I have or any potential clients that I have, that come to me with an idea, I sit there and I, I consult and talk to hundreds of people a year. And there's a lot of people that come with a similar idea or a same idea, or I might have worked on a project or a line that's similar to it. And they don't realize that there is competition out there. So I have to kind of say nicely to them, like, have you searched this or have you looked this up? Yeah, totally. What I like to do when I'm at this development stage is really looking at brand identity, and if I can get into the market. So what are the competitors that are out there? I literally have somebody that I have them look into the competition on Amazon. So even though you're not going to be on that stage, it really shows who's kind of the big sellers of that arena, I guess. What do you mean by that? Like you have somebody? um, I actually have somebody that looks at like Amazon listings for me. So I don't have to do it myself. So he digs in and gives me like a one page report saying, here's the top sellers and here's how many reviews that they have. And here is, um, the number estimated number of sales according to like their bestseller ranking. And then I have to look at it and say, Hmm, that seems like a lot of competition or 
no, it doesn't. There's room for me. And then I kind of do a trying to figure out my keywords, you know, like whether it be for, so for my labels, it would be like bottle labels, kid labels, name labels. And then thinking about like my end customer, is there room for me that way where I can really tie in for them why they're making the purchase? You know, is it a need? Is it a desire? Is it a want? Is it, you know, any of those things where you're walking through the journey of your end um, customer and seeing why or how you're going to be able to sell them. Do you need to educate them? Do you need to entertain them? Do you need to, you know, all these things like how can I price? That's another big thing. If your competition is priced at $5, you're going to have to make up for it in volume or whatever else. Yeah. So whether, you know, you're, you know, big wig like Mina over here, like the CEO of her company that has (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> her people doing the research for her or whether you do it yourself. I recommend if you're starting your business, if this is your only business, if it's your side hustle, that you do the research because you really have to be in tune with your competition. If you have multiple businesses and you have a you know third, fourth idea for another business and you know how to operate and you do have people that can test this out to you. I've thought about that. I've had clients hire virtual assistants to research all of the lingerie stores in the country to basically give them a list of that, you know, for sales. So, um, yeah, I think the, to understand that competition and then how are you going to be different? So if you're coming out with like another, let's say we're going back to lingerie, another lingerie line, or you're coming out with like another jam line, you're making jam and, why are you different? Like what's that pitch and sell and how can you differentiate yourself? Cause you might think, you know, well, I'm going to do organic lime mixed with fig berry jam or something. Um, yeah, you could search and see if anyone has that recipe and then you could look at the way that the packaging is. Cause there's certain brands I think that have made it based on the packaging alone, you know, and then distribution. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, that is one of my strengths is brand identity. So I feel like if there's already a dominant person or too many people that have great brands and great brand identities, I probably won't move into that, you know, area. So, um, but you'd be surprised. Like if you start looking at things and even looking at like our subscription box model, right? Um, if there's people that are doing pretty well at a certain, um, in a specific niche, but they have horrible branding, one of the ways that you can get in and do just as well as them from the beginning is to have a better packaging and a better identity, like brand identity. So that's what's differentiated my company. So Designer Consulting Co-op, I've always been ahead of my competition in my website. Um, And so, and that's how people find me because it's an on, they search online, they find me, they look at my site. It's their first, you know, look at my business through my brand's identity. And then I've had so much feedback from people where they've said, um, you had a great website because the people in my business hadn't really caught up yet with having websites that they really developed and paid for um, and looked, let's say, legit. And I like to refer to like lawyer's office. If you're going to hire a lawyer, if you go to a lawyer like in a small dark room with no view of a window and it's just them with no receptionist, you have a different opinion than if you walk into this like amazing law office with receptionists and people and they've got the corner office with the view of the city, that's when you know that like, oh yeah, this person's legit and worth their money. And so it's the same thing in your product and your packaging. Yeah, for sure. So you're in that development stage or the seed stage, you're doing that research to see if there's room for you and to see if there's room for you to stand out and whether or not you should move in to startup. So startup stage, this is 
the land of confusion. <laughs> so if you're thinking about this like a person's you know, life cycle, this would be your baby stage. You're learning to walk. You're learning to um, get that initial customer base and get that market presence. So there is a lot of confusion because you're testing out so many things and you've just launched your product. So you're not even making iterations yet. You're just figuring out where your data stands and, and then hopefully pivoting, 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 failing, failing, failing. Um, because remember, failure is feedback and that is like the best way to be successful. You cannot be successful without failing here or there, you know? Totally. And so remember startup, a lot of times you might be by yourself. This might just be you. Um, you're probably not making your own product, but you're probably the one talking to all of your, you know, your manufacturers or whoever you're sourcing from. You might be the one running around to factories and dealing with it. You're basically doing everything and you may not even be at the point that you can hire an assistant or maybe you are, you know, maybe at that point like you have one assistant or a virtual assistant or a husband or wife or spouse. Um, that are helping you. But at this point, you're still super inundated in everything from the, you know, development of everything to shipping and dealing with customer service and getting money and everything is still on your plate. Yeah. And this is kind of where I feel like cash flow is short because you're using a lot of it in the launch and you don't get that money until kind of the growth stage, you know, where you're getting more and more sales and figuring out where you need to lean into. So yeah, startup can be a little bit hard, um, but it's definitely where you have your, what is that, finger to the pulse or whatever on a lot of things. You're hustling. Yeah. And this is the part where you probably feel like you need money, right? Like I need money and I need more money than I've ever thought I needed. So usually people will start a business and think it's going to cost X amount of dollars. I hate when I watch, um, like there's like news segments or things where like how I started my business with $50. Um, (laughs) I hate it because it's not true, right? Especially if you're manufacturing a product, how much startup cash and capital you need to have. And I say cash because there's people who don't take credit cards. It's not necessarily a business you can build on credit, not and you shouldn't, um, unless it's you know you're getting a, a small business loan. But I've had clients say like, I'm not going to take that order from Bloomingdale's because I'm not going to uh, get a second mortgage on my house to be able to fund the production. And that's fine. You can you know you can slow down. And that was in the startup stage because usually in startup you don't have a ton of cash flow. The business isn't supporting itself yet. You are still supporting the business. It's a, it's your baby. Like it's your other child. If you don't have a kid or you do, it just needs so much from you. So when you're thinking about the cash and startup phase of it, whether you have an investor or whether you have to fund it yourself and what you can afford to take out of your own personal life, um, or if you need to do something like a Kickstarter campaign or Indiegogo or something where you can you know, those things are great because it's marketing and funding. So you're getting it out to everybody that's on Kickstarter, Indiegogo to see this new product that you're releasing. And then plus you're raising capital for your business. Yeah. Um, startup is a little bit tricky only because there's no social proof yet. This is like the social proof stage. So you're having to like really convince people, hey, try my product, see if you like it. Instead of being like, hey, so many people have tried my product and they love it and here's my bestseller. So this, that's why it's a little bit tricky is because you really have to work on that pitch. That pitch is the hardest it's ever been in this stage. So tell, you know, how is your, we've actually never talked about this, but your startup phase. So you came out with this, you know, with the baby bottle idea, uh, the labels, and then how did you go from startup and like grow from there? 
I feel like I'm one of those cases where because I was such an entrepreneur for a long time, I knew how to get like reviews and things like that. So before when I used to do events, scrapbooking events, so just think this is seven years of 300 women. I sold out that event every single year. So I tapped into my network. I said, hey, would you guys be willing to test out this product for me and then give a review on Amazon? During this time, that was when Amazon um, allowed outside reviews. So even if you didn't purchase on Amazon, you could still leave a review. It's not the case now. And it's not the case now where um, you can ask for reviews from people that you know um, before when I was doing this two and a half years ago, it was different. So keep that in mind. So that basically, um, I reached out to those people because I had their emails. Um, These are women I see every single year for seven years. I mean, literally people who are following me and they were rooting for me. They they knew my life. They knew my kids. They knew uh, my daughter had heart surgery. They knew knew my story and they, they just loved to support me. And these are kind women who scrapbook, you know, so it kind of like aligned, honestly. And so then a lot of them, like hundreds of them, I think it was, I sent out 150 packages initially and they all like rallied behind me and gave reviews. And if they didn't like the product, I'm sure there were some that didn't, didn't, they, they didn't leave bad reviews, you know, which is a little bit key too, because it's like, um, you don't have any bad reviews to like knock down your rating. But that's initially how I started was just really thinking about my, you know, inner circle and how I could leverage that. Things have changed now. Now you could probably like hit up influencers or, um, I don't know. You'd have to have a little bit of a different strategy, but we all have our personal network. That does work now, even in some platforms. Like you can do that on CrateJoy, for instance, leave reviews and you don't actually have to leave a, get the purchase from CrateJoy for the subscription box. Um, like if you have a product, you can leave a rating or review um, about that product, even though you didn't purchase the subscription box. That was the case for Amazon before. So now I have to change my strategy, obviously, if I'm you know, in startup stage for Amazon now. Um, but that's, you know, on Etsy, like for instance, I think you can leave a review, can't you? I'm not even 100% sure. But just see what's allowed and try to leverage like those um, opportunities that those platforms are giving you. Truly opportunities. So basically, though, for you, so you came up with the idea, you made it, and you actually, you just right away got it on Amazon. So your first point of distribution was Amazon. Like you never, you didn't try to get into boutiques or sell direct to customer because a lot of times people will start a business and they'll think that they could just sell it through their website. They'll launch a site and think, you know, if you build it, they will come, but they don't. Yeah, I went straight to Amazon. It took a long time for me to manufacture and develop. And remember when I did that first run, it was the wrong adhesive. Mm -hmm. So I had to pull all my inventory from Amazon, which was definitely a learning experience there. And then I put it back on to Amazon. And that was the month before Layla went to heart surgery and we moved into like the hospital basically. So during that time, I didn't have like the opportunity or the time or the desire or anything to want to expand to um, boutiques or wholesale or anything. And it just sat there for a very long time. And um, the funny thing is that um, it just survived on its own. Like it ended up being 
You know how like sometimes it's a waiting game. Well, for me, I didn't intend it to be me waiting. It was just me not even bothering with it. And it was just sustaining itself Mm -hmm. and building out its own data that I eventually ended up using. Which is amazing. So let's say for me, for Cuffs Couture, um, my startup was basically self-funded and I self-funded and I, I, I think I put like 20,000 into it initially between building my website, doing my photo shoot. Cause I wanted my, again, I'm really big on websites cause I think that's the initial, um, and this is again, also like 10 years ago, but that's the first thing that people see if they're searching for you. And now I would say that also is for Instagram and Facebook and anything that you're like doing social shares that it's very much about the visuals. Um, so I, made the product and I had to go into buying minimums, like buying into it. And then I also built the site, all that cost money. And I had just come off of working for a celebrity and we were heavy in PR. And so I decided, you know what, like the other part of my money was going to go towards a publicist and see where the publicist could get me. Well, while interviewing publicists, one of them just happened to, I don't know why she did this, but she liked the product and she pitched it before I even paid her to, um, forget her name now, but she used to do like things for us weekly, basically, um, where she would do, you know, fashion reports. And they did a half page on my business with all the celebrities because I had the hookups with celebrities, right? I just come off of working with a celebrity. I was going to parties where I was like shamelessly walking up to them. Like this is when Adrena Patridge was like the hills, the height of the hills. And I walked up to her and I was like, Hey, could you put this on and can I take a picture of you? Because she was in the circle that we were in and I did. And so I had, you know, Adrena and um, Jamie Presley and actually even Kim Kardashian wore it. And I got this quarter page using their photos. And that's when it like hit. That's when all the orders started coming into my site. And that's where like just in a few weeks, I was able to basically pay myself back for that seed money, basically. And then I, you know, let's say I made 20,000, then that 20,000 then funded my business moving forward. And then with all of that, I was able to grow it because I had the press and then I was able to get a sales rep and then expand. But there still was a lot of startup money that I had to still give to, because I go to the traditional route. So I was at trade shows to stores and boutiques. And then I'd have to go into production and basically ship to them. Plus I sold online. And so that for me was like my big push. So, so I guess how did they, so talking about growing from startup into growth and established. So going from startup into growth, you kind of just get there blindly trying so many, so many things. I feel like there's just so many things that you have to attempt. And this is what Jacqueline and I are talking about when we're saying to fail faster, because a lot of times you're just trying to utilize those little opportunities, those tiny opportunities that each opportunity gives you. And hopefully you make a few sales here and there to know what your strengths are and what your unique selling point is and, and hone your pitch. So all of a sudden you end up in growth stage if you're pivoting quickly from your failures and then you're getting those increased sales and um, a bigger customer base and then you move into growth. So growth stage. So growth stage is when you've become one of the competitors. So any startup that is looking for getting into the space, they're like, hello, that person is already in there, you know? So uh, you're dealing with competitors, you're moving into kind of a more established uh, stage of your business. So you're trying to improve your processes and accommodate like a bigger team. And so whereas startup, like Jacqueline said, was mostly by yourself, growth might be with the support team. 
Um, don't you think, Jacqueline? Yeah. So it's any, eventually your plate is going to get overloaded. And so it's whenever you're sort of having to repeat a process over and over, or it's something that is repeatable that you could easily teach somebody that you could offload. So let's say one of the first things that people might take off their plate is shipping, right? So that might be one of your first hires is somebody who's going to come in and help like inventory and and ship and take that off your plate so that you could still deal with sales and you could still deal with people, um, you know, with even just the development of it. So like you said, in terms of competition and, and being the competition, I just want everyone to remember though, you may look at a company and think that they're like huge and established and it still might only be two to three people behind the scenes. They might be making a ton of money. Um, maybe they're, you know, it depends on you, like 2 million a year to 25 million a year. But let's just say they're like a 2 million a year. There still might only be a few people operating behind the scenes, but they know how to outsource what they need to outsource. They know how to delegate. You don't need that many people to be in the growth stages, especially this day and age where you can outsource so many different things. Like your bookkeeper could be outsourced. You could have a virtual assistant that's outsourced. You could have your um, person who does all of your social media posts and all that, that could be outsourced. They don't all have to be on your team underneath your employment. Yeah, for sure. You know, with growth, I think it's, you have that increased cash flow. So you have to decide what you want to do with it. You know, with startup, I feel like, you know, you're putting that initial seed money in and you're hoping that you're getting it back. So then you can put it back in. With growth, you're getting that initial money. You're putting a lot of it back in but you're also having to put it into processes and external outsourcing and things like that. So it's going to different things. It's just going to the increase increasing of your growth of your business. So um, I think and maybe that, you're making profit, right? Like maybe you get to yeah. take something home, even if it's $100 <laughs> a month, like something that's in excess that you get to benefit from having this company in your blood, sweat and tears. Yeah. So that's, that's basically the goal, right? We all want to be making profit. And with growth stage, um, you know, increasing those sales, becoming one of the competitors, this is where you want to be making smarter choices with less risk. Because in startup, you didn't know what your data was. What in, but in growth stage, you know your data now that you can be making smarter choices and really leaning into what's working and staying away from what doesn't. Like, Don't be putting a ton of money into Facebook ads when just because people are telling you to, when it's not giving you a return on investment, for instance. Hey guys, we just need to interrupt the podcast for a minute. You know what would be so exciting for product business owners? Reoccurring revenue and reoccurring sales. You know what else? Multiple streams of revenue and brilliant ideas. This is why we're over the moon about our partnership with CrateJoy, the all-in-one subscription box solution. CrateJoy is built with you in mind. They are passionate about helping you start and scale your subscription box. Amazing, right? What's even better is they are offering our listeners a free two-week trial to test out the back end of CrateJoy and experience how easy it would be for you to add a subscription box as another stream of revenue for your business. Starting a subscription box is easy, especially with the help of CrateJoy's platform and technology. You may be thinking this idea is so out of the box, <laughs> pun intended, but guess what? It could lead to huge things for your business. It gives you an opportunity to test CrateJoy out. No credit card required, no obligation, while asking yourself, would an added 
revenue stream benefit my business? Um, yeah. So join us. Sign up for the free two-week trial run. Again, no credit card required, no obligation, and see what it's like to be a subscription boss. The link for your free two-week trial is in the show notes. Go sign up and become a subscription boss with Joy. So I am trying to install Facebook Pixel between my Facebook and my website. And so I had to go on and look at my data and somehow I ended up at how much I've spent on Facebook ads. It's not going to sound like a lot to a lot of people, but for somebody who's benefited zero, I spent $953 on Facebook ads over the course of probably my business. But nonetheless, I'm like, holy crap, I put $1,000 into Facebook ads that did what? Maybe I got likes or whatever, you know? So it's, you always want to look at your numbers and it's hard as an entrepreneur to sort of be on top of these numbers and to kind of get an idea, you know, to always keep your, like we said, the finger on the pulse. Um, but knowing your data. So I had a consulting call with a client earlier today and I was asking her, like, she knows what she's sold out of. She knows what's doing well and she's low on inventory of, but she can't probably tell me the data of like the percentage of like, how many of these items sell more than this item versus this item? Because she's talking about refining the line and what she's she's going to launch a secondary line to like a different, same customer, but different customer, like different location globally. And she wants to know what pieces. And I'm like, well, just look at, look at your numbers. Like look at your analytics. Look at how many you're selling of something. And I would repeat what's doing well and drop off what's not. Because if it's not doing well, why are you going to put more money into it? Yeah. For sure. Like that's the strategy to go with for sure, because you, you know, what's going to make you money. Um, you know, what a funny story is that I accidentally spent like $300 on Facebook ads and did not mean to. Like, I thought that when you run an ad, it automatically turns itself off after a specific date. Doesn't it do that? Um, I think you can set it, but this is like literally one of the things we post in our <laughs> Facebook community where it's like, what are those mistakes you've made in the beginning of your business? Or you will always continue to make mistakes as you're going on this learning curve. So you just ran it forever. Yeah, I ran it. And then I went back in there and I was like, what's this? Like, what's this charge I'm getting, you know, and just la-di-da about it. I go in there and I was like, oh my gosh, this thing has been running this whole time and I've gotten zero out of it, zero out of it. And then it was, it was maybe two weeks later, you know? So I was like, well, that was a waste of $300, you know, and truly a waste of $300. Like I thought, oh, I'm just going to throw $5 at it. You know how people are like, I just throw $5 at it. Well, that $5 adds up when you're not paying attention to that $5, you know? And on top of, I know nothing about Facebook ads. So I was literally just being like, oh, just try it out. And if I was wanting to spend $300, I would have just hired somebody if I wanted to spend that much, you know, that would probably... 100%. (laughs) And so it was a waste of money and I will never do that again. Um, I'll hire somebody next time. But, you know, different strategies for different things. Um, And in the growth stage, like it's, you're really becoming a better business person. Like you're just learning that, hey, I'm doing pretty good. I don't know how I'm doing so good. Or you're saying, oh, I'm doing pretty badly. I don't know how I'm doing pretty badly. And then it's your responsibility to take that data and figure out what's doing well and what's doing not so well and, you know, figure it out. And be- Yeah. I feel like, and I feel like if you're growth or established, like you've probably been in business for one to two years, usually your first year is like 
you're I, you're still in startup. You're still figuring it out. You're still building customers, um, growth and established. You know that's sort of when you are multiplying the stores you're selling to, or your customers are doubling. You know we have a um, a client in our mastermind right now that first quarter performed better than her whole year last year. So mm. she made she made the same amount she did an entire year in her first quarter. Just think about that. And so that's like, holy moly, girl, you are no longer startup, but you are growth and established. Like she's just, she's established in what she's doing. And then as she's starting to get uncomfortable there, she's going to have to decide whether she's going to, you know, ex- well, I don't know about expand it, but also scale it, right? So does she bring on other people to her staff or does she add and add and add, you know, because the thing you also have to realize is when you staff up, you need more money. Like with that, just your overhead gets greater and greater and greater. So it's thinking about what works and what doesn't work and how to super streamline the business and then how to keep growing, doing what you're doing well and keep growing it into more sales, more sales, more sales, because sales are what's going to drive our business. So Mina, how would, how do you think they could like, how do you think our listeners would sort of figure out, because I know a lot of them don't maybe realize in their head that they are somewhat established or in this growth phase. I think this is that sort of insecurity of your business where you never know if you're doing well or not. What would you say are some key points? I would say just having data. You know that if you have a year to look back at, that's some data, you know, or not even a year. It could be last month, you know. One of the cool things that we get to see behind the scenes with CrateJoy is people's searches, right? And so like looking at last month's searches, looking at last month's number of sales, looking at last month's bestseller, month by month, like try to pivot as fast as you can um, or decide not to pivot. You know, you have to make a choice either way. Like if you decide to wait it out for more data, then that's what you need to do. But this is where you're trying to improve on making better decisions for sure. So looking at growth, I would say the way that you know is literally by having some sort of data and making decisions. Um, in the growth stage, you can definitely see the action takers from the idea people. Some people are always stuck in idea, even though they're in the growth stage, like they get kind of pushed into growth stage, right? Um, but the action takers are the ones that are running full speed ahead, action after action after action, even if they're failing, they are still taking action because they're using that data. So I think that's one of the things that knowing if you're in growth stage is when you're getting that increased amount of sales and then increased amount of customers and increased amount of data and making more decisions quicker. Yeah. Like I talked to a client today and um, the one that I said, I don't know if she realizes how established she is, but she has one pair, one style of leggings that she constantly sells out of in the colors. So at that point, yeah, she can keep making more leggings and increase her quantities. Or is it time for her to expand into a second legging or a cropped legging? Because if she's doing so well and that's what people are coming to her for, is it time to expand that category of product and then looking at the other things she makes, like maybe her, I don't know, bags aren't doing as well. Well, maybe the bags aren't where you keep putting your money, but you go back into your leggings because you're literally selling out of those. Um, And then when you start to struggle and be like, I need to hire more people. I need to hire more people. Um, And then, you know, the other thing to just think about is we are idea people and we're constantly, we always have ideas and we want to grow and there's that shiny object syndrome. But sometimes just becoming established and staying established, like getting a system down and living in that system for a couple quarters, you know, a year, whatever it is to make sure that it, you know, 
every time you scale, there's more problems. So you jump from, you know, production orders of 500 pieces to a thousand to 5,000 to 10,000. Every time you move up, you're sitting with different things that are going to come up that you have to deal with. Um, and so living at a certain point for a while, making sure that your systems are super locked in, making sure you understand your data before you take that next jump. It's okay. Like it's okay to actually turn down a big order or not even order, but let's say like a meeting with somebody for an order. Maybe don't take the meeting with them. But a lot of times I have clients that go like that Bloomingdale's order. Do you meet with Bloomingdale's? Well, if you're not ready to take that huge jump and all the responsibility that comes with it, that's okay. It doesn't mean they're going anywhere. It just means that you and your business are not ready for that yet. Live where you are. You know, if you're doing boutique business or Amazon business, and then when you feel set there, then you can kind of jump to that other platform or stream of income. Yeah, there's definitely such a thing as growing too fast and that being your demise, mm-hmm. you know, because then let's say you take that Bloomingdale's meeting before you're ready, you sink all your money into manufacturing and then you don't bring that money back in and then you're having to buy back that inventory, you know. Yeah, out of business. Yeah, out of business. So you want to make sure that the opportunities are right. And you're able to like that Bloomingdale's deal. If you are more established in knowing what your bestseller is and how it can sell and everything like that, you'll be more confident going in and knowing what will sell, you know, if it will really resonate with that Bloomingdale customer or not and how to negotiate a corrected deal um, when working with bigger people, you know, all those things that will help you get more established. You can't stay in a specific stage for too long though, because you'll hit decline though. Decline stage, not a good oh, stage. <laughs> not even on our list of stages. Not even want you to go there. Yeah. But, it, but it's true though. I mean, it's just, and, and also when we talked about that, um, also just the expansion of product. Like if you're doing really well at something and then all of a sudden you decide to diversify and add this, 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 this on, all of that development is going to take money and if that doesn't work, also, you're going to dump your, your, your money into that and then hit the decline. So then, so going from growth and established, then we get into expansion, which is the next st- stage. Yeah. Expansion is big business and big growth. So one of the ways that Jack and I talk about is to go deeper into your customer base. So selling new products to your existing customers. So going deeper with them and getting more sales from your existing customers. So that's one way of expanding. Um, So that one's pretty easy, right? You're already doing that anyways, I'm sure. Um, Next way would be expanding existing business into new markets. So new avatar, (laughs) new ideal customer. So in my case, it would be um, my clothing labels that I have actually for school supplies and things like that and school backpacks and clothing for daycares. I could be moving that into nursing home people, you know, community facilities, things like that. So that's a, that's a new avatar for me. Um, so, okay. Uh, yeah. So like, let's say with Cuffs Couture, I was selling the cuffs, you know, the, their wrist wallets that look like bracelets. And then this, the major trend of like hair accessories hit. And so my sales rep wanted me to um, get into the, the hair accessory market because everybody and their moms and boutiques and everywhere they were buying, you know, headbands, clips, just everything that went in the hair. So 
I expanded with a different customer or, you know, different customer avatar, similar. I was using similar materials. They felt similar. I could do photo shoots together. It was called Cuffs Couture and Crowns. And then Crowns was able to sell to places that didn't really necessarily want to buy into Cuffs or it was an add-on item because if you think about a brand that you love, right? If you go to, let's just say Banana Republic. So Banana Republic, you're walking in, you know what you're going to get from Banana Republic in clothes, in dresses, in shoes, in accessories, and hats. It all has a very similar feel to it. And if it, if they diversified, if it was like Tommy Bahama, then they get into like, you know, bedding and sheets and cups and mugs and alcohol and perfumes and all that, you know that you're getting that tropical feeling. So I could still sell to my customers, but I was able to expand my product line, expand the stores I was selling to, expand out of certain accessories into other accessories. And so that's where my business kind of jumped into another market. Yeah. And that's really where you want to start. You want to expand vertically and horizontally across, you know, so it's basically across your existing customers and then also trying to upsell them, downsell them, and then also putting in those complementary products that would sell to them too. So um, you're cross promoting the heck out of all of that, you know, and um, selling to target markets that are adjacent, but not completely out of the realm because those are the same products. It's either going to be the same customer or the same product, you know, or different product, different customer, you know, uh, or what it, what would that be? Different, different customer, same product. You get what I'm saying, right? Yeah. So like, let's <laughs> talk about, let's talk about little labels, how you talked about taking it to nursing homes, right? Because they yeah. still need things. So it same might product. be that it's the same product, different customer, but your product does have to change. You can't give them like little monkeys and hippos. Right. So, well, they're blank though. They're right. plain. Uh-huh. So but, they don't have that little monkey on there. <laughs> but but if you decided though that you wanted to get more specific to adults, maybe mm-hmm. you would have done a different design on it. So not even just the plain ones, but maybe if you really wanted to dig into that market, you would have done new alternate designs for mm-hmm. adults or mature adults. Yeah. Packaging a switch up for sure. Um, yeah. So then I can um, target them as nursing home labels, for instance, instead of clothing labels for daycare or whatever, you know? So um, having that, and then also I would also be selling those same clothing labels to my baby bottle purchasers. So basically that is the same customer adding on a product, you know? So you're basically trying to cross promote all of it. So it's sometimes a different customer and sometimes a different product, you know? So it could even be, but the other thing is it could be adding a brick and mortar or something to your business. Yeah. Or vice versa, right? You right. could be brick and mortar adding online, or you could be online adding brick and mortar or adding another location, you know? Right. So that's when we start looking at platforms. So these are what we're talking about is like more sales channels and more delivery channels. So, you know, for instance, like sale for delivery channels, you're getting to the customer that's online and delivering them to them online rather than them walking into your brick and mortar and delivering to them, you know, a tangible thing in hand. Mm -hmm. So uh, sales channels and um, delivery channels. Yeah. So let's say you did, you're a, you know, you're a blogger and you've been doing blogs. This is a little bit different, but if you're a blogger, then all of a sudden you might have such a response that you could then write a book or, 
publish a magazine and that's what's happening with a lot of podcasters. Let's say they're writing books now, taking all their information and putting it into a book. All of a sudden they're going to go from being a podcaster and maybe an online business to a product-based business. Um, and so they're expanding and they're even expanding their categories where they, where they are and what they're selling. Yeah. All of it is diverse diversification. So diversifying in those complementary products and then also services, just like me and you, Jacqueline. I mean, we are products-based. Well, I'm a product-based business. You're a service-based business that, um, coaches, product-based businesses. And then we have the product boss, which is service-based doing the same thing that you do for DCC in coaching and teaching, um, but for a broader business owner, you know. Totally. And I was a product-based business owner and I still am that, you know, more of someone who's, but I, for me, actually, I am purposely in the decline stage because I grew to the point that I wanted to grow into. And then I had to weigh out where the value was for my business. So for me, I was in growth and established. And instead of expanding, that wasn't where I saw that I was going to grow. I didn't see the money. I didn't see the business being profitable enough to allow it. So then I decided to pause it and then just exist, you know, basically sell what I have and make money on what I have, but no longer growing. And that's okay too, because I always tell people like, what are going to be your biggest regrets in your life? Like if you don't take action, if you don't do them, because we don't really want to live in, in that world of, of regret. And so for me, it was like, I invented something. Cause like we said at the beginning of this, we're super inventive, um, with ideas. I invented it. I tried it. I had celebrities wear it. I sold across the globe, Great. And then I had two kids and another business that was just like booming. And I just decided, okay, I had that phase of my life and this was fun and this is great. And I'm going to move on. In a way, DCC kind of absorbed Cuffs Couture, you know, so that sometimes happens when you're diversifying is that you figure out that one of the sales channels is actually stronger than your original idea. Um, so this happened with FabFitFun. Have you ever heard of the story, backstory of them? Mm-mm. So interesting. So they, you do know what FabFitFun is, that subscription box? They're huge, gigantic. They started off as a tech company. And so they had like, I think it was like software or something like that, that one of their ideas was to have a promotional subscription, or it wasn't even a subscription box, a promotional box that went out. And they sold something like 2000 boxes in one day that they switched their complete business model to be that subscription box because it ended up being a better idea than their original idea. So insane, right? Amazing. Yeah. And so, and then they just, since they were a tech company and all that stuff, they knew how to basically source and collaborate with different people to bring in those brands. And they are a powerhouse in the subscription box industry, you know? So something to think about as you're diversifying, some ideas might be a really big hit and some ideas aren't, you know, so it's okay. Just move on from them quickly if they aren't that big of a hit, you know? Yeah. And, you know, cut your losses instead of like, you know, throwing money into something like, cause product-based businesses could be money pits. If you're throwing your money into things that are not working, that's where the money pit happens. Otherwise, if you just cut your loss and you move on and you throw it into something that is doing well, you will quickly recoup. So from expansions at this point, you know, you've diversified, maybe you have brick and mortars um, or vice versa. You've gone online, you've expanded your product line, you've expanded your customers. Let's just say like, I'm going to just bring up OPI, for example, like the OPI OPI nail polish. They were a, a nail polish company that started off 
only selling to high-end nail salons. You couldn't get it in pharmacies. You couldn't get it at Target. There were, you could only get it put on at a high-end nail salon, right? They had to apply and kind of be accepted. And they then all of a sudden grew and grew and grew where people would walk into nail salons and say, I want OPI nail polish. They'd know their color that they liked because the name was so important. And as they grew from there and they expanded and they were so specific into who they sold to, then they started allowing people to sell it. So maybe just out of the nail salon, you could buy that bottle of nail polish and bring it back every time you went. And then they grew and they grew and they grew. And then eventually you saw it in Dwayne Reed and Walgreens and Target and all that. And that's how they, they were really known and they expanded. And then eventually, and it was a family owned business, eventually they actually sold it and they actually exited in a way because all these companies, like uh, people who started businesses, they stay with it somewhat, especially for a couple of years to consult. Like the women who started Juicy Couture stayed on for a few years. Um, but then at some point, then you get, you could get bought out, for example, and absorbed by a larger company. Yeah. So this is the exit stage and where you've hit maturity. So basically you have to make a decision if you want to further expand or if you want to do something different. This is a lot of times when people bring in a new CEO to mix things up because they want to you know, either expand or diversify in a different field that they have no idea about. And that CEO has the skill set that they need. Um, it might be just... Sh- basically shaking up the whole business model. Um, And some examples of this would be like franchising or licensing rather, or, um, you know, subscription box model for, for instance, like making that whole, taking your product and, and changing it up completely to a way of exiting a specific industry, I guess, but in a completely different way, you're still serving people and um, you're just going with, the exit strategy that you want, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, listen, you put, you put in all of your time, all of your hours, your holidays, your mornings, time away from your family to grow this business and to expand it and then to manage it and to manage your employees and all the weight that comes with that. Eventually, a lot of people decide that like they've grown as far as they could grow. And then sometimes, you know, it could be better to sell it off or it could be better to take a step back from their business and have other people now run it. So you're still making money from it, or you have a, um, a board of directors or however you decide to grow your business, but you're not in the day-to-day anymore. That is sort of the hashtag goal where you can grow something and benefit from it and have this revenue coming in or, or um, salary or whatever it is or profits from something that you don't have to work so hard. And then again, that Turks and Caicos idea, you get to vacation while your business is still running and you're getting paid because you built this baby. Like you built it and that's where you are. And that is something that we hope that all of you eventually get to is it's like such a high stage that you're able to take a step back from it and not be in the day-to-day management of it, that you get to exist and make money and, and reap the benefits of, and the rewards of building this business. Yeah. And a lot of times this is when you'll see the sisters companies popping up, right? Like TJ Maxx and Home Goods and Marshalls, how they're all together, right? And my new favorite store that I just discovered <laughs> is called Home Sense. That's like all furniture for Home Goods. Amazing. Yeah. And that's literally what they did. They expanded into, they basically created their own, basically took what they knew of a platform. So retail and 
just used all that information and created a sister company. So all of them are aligned, but at the same time, if one of them fails completely, they don't have all their eggs in one basket, you know? Yeah. But the expansion part is because they probably saw, let's say at Home Goods and TJ Maxx, that people were buying a ton of furniture. And so mm-hmm. they probably saw that that was doing so well that they could open up a complete other store on just based on furniture and do well. And let me tell you, walking people, watching people walk in and like, even my reaction was like, oh, like there's lamps and chairs and you know, everything that now it's all compiled for me in one place. Yeah. And that's because they know their customers so well. I mean, I'm totally TJ Maxx customer. And my, my, for instance, my sister is not, she hates the, the hunt of a good, you know, product or whatever. So knowing that customer and knowing, Hey, I can meet another one of her needs in over here and amplify that to like the max and so she'll spend more on more on more, <laughs> then it's genius, you know? And so, yeah, just diversifying in different ways and expanding. So again, let's go through really quick what those life cycle stages are. So seed and development. So that was like the very idea stage, launching into startup, then going into growth and established um, and scale. So scale is when that shout out to Nat G who taught us the right way of thinking about scale is when you're thinking about people. So growth, growth slash established slash scale. Jeez, that's a lot of S's. And then next into expansion. And this is when you become big business and basically expand, expand, expand um, platforms on pricing on people, you know, all that stuff. And then exit stage, where you want to take your business, whether it's into further expansion or exiting to a different idea that might be better for your business because it's getting so big that you don't want it to hit a decline. Absolutely. Um, And, you know, eventually we all, you know, we're all in different stages in our lives and in our businesses. So we are so glad that you joined us today about this. Um, we again have our Facebook community on Facebook for the product boss where we continue the conversation. And so if you're ever confused about where you stand or you need a little bit of support or you need this community, um, you need a little product boss time outside of our podcast, then you can head over there. But we just want to remind you all to subscribe and review and make sure you subscribe because because like we said, we are dropping a new series called The Subscription Boss, which is a spinoff of The Product Boss sponsored by Create Joy. And we are going to be doing that every Friday starting April 27th through the month of May. Yeah, it's going to be so much fun and super insightful. I think that even if you don't even want to think about the idea of Subscription Box, I am of that belief that It's such a huge asset and a huge strength when you can take something of a different industry and apply it to your existing business. So no matter what, you're going to be getting great content and great ideas that you might end up finding a gem and, and then being able to make tons of money from that little gem that you get. Remember, guys, the goal, tons of money, Turks and Caicos. (laughs) We'll see you there. (laughs) All right. Thank you. We will talk to you all next week. Hey, you guys, we're adding a new special series on Fridays to the Product Boss podcast feed called Subscription Boss. We want to change lives by showing you how to become a successful subscription box business owner. Our plan is twofold. First, we're giving you step-by-step episodes of how to get this reoccurring revenue done. And second, we get you on the right platform to pull this off. That's where Crate Joy comes in. They're our partner in this in an all-in-one subscription box marketplace that you can sell on. 
we get you in front of their 3 million monthly website views for extra visibility. With both of those combined, we can really make some magic happen. So let's do it. Join us every Friday for Subscription Boss episodes right here on the Product Boss podcast feed. We'll see you there.